right. Well, good morning, Calvary Church. It is good to be here with you. Eric Wakeling here, pastor here at Calvary Church. Um, before we get into our message today, as we're talking about this in this series of living out your faith, how can we actually live this whole thing out after hearing of these great heroes of faith? How do we live it out ourselves? I don't want to talk about it a lot, but I just want to just like for a brief, brief moment, just give us another encouragement, kind of like I did maybe before the election, but in light of things just going on in our country of, I wanna just in this moment remind us primarily to set and fix our eyes on Jesus, okay? So no matter what, no matter how you feel about anything going on, I want us as a church to say, okay, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. This passage today is telling us to consider Jesus, to meditate on him, and to remember that we are first and foremost citizens of his kingdom. And let's let everything then that we do, say, think, all of that flow out of a life of our eyes fixed on him and our minds dwelling upon him. And so I just want to encourage us that our hope is in him and not in anything else. Okay? Then let's, uh, we might see how this touches on stuff here and there throughout our text for today as well, because our text today is actually all about spiritual rehabilitation is what I'm saying. Okay? Spiritual rehab. And I mean that in comparison to like physical rehab or physical therapy, you know, that kind of a thing where you're going through uh, suffering and being in some ways, you're going through discipline and almost being punished. Like I've been going to physical therapy for my knee uh, recently and I feel like the meanest person in the world is my physical therapist. And she's a, like this little lady, <laughs> but she's mean. <laughs> I feel like I'm being disciplined by her uh, because I have, to, like, I have to correct some things, right? Some the ways that my muscles are working and all of that to, to work on that. Uh, I remember even being told by uh, when I was dealing, I still sort of deal with it with struggles with my voice and being told by the speech therapist of like, you're talking wrong. And I think I was, you know, at the time when I first started doing that, I was 45 years old. And I'm kind of like, well, I've been doing this for a while. Like, I don't know, I'm just talking. And they're like, you are using your voice wrong. And so having to relearn and that takes some course correction and all of that. Now, I remember too, when I was a, when I was a little kid, I was, uh, I was a pretty good kid. Uh, in the sense of my behavior was primarily good, but what would get me in trouble was my mouth. I was a bit of a sass. I was a bit of a brat. I thought I was right all the time. And so I would sass back to a teacher or my parents. And that's when I would get myself in trouble. Okay, it was those sorts of moments. And when, uh, when I would do that, whether that was at home or at school, I would get spanked. Now, people today might freak out, right? Like, what? Like, even at school, I went to a little private Christian school, and I got spanked at school about once a year, pretty much on a rhythm. I'd kind of be able to, like, control myself. Then I'd sass my teacher, sent to the principal's office. It was like the classic cliche from a movie scene, you know, that you'd think from, like, the old days or something, where there was, like, the pa wooden paddle hanging on the wall. It had the holes in it so it would get, like, no wind resistance as it's coming towards me. And uh, so I would go. Once a year, without fail, I would get 
spanked. And I'm not here advocating or not for spanking. That's not the point. But uh, I would also, I mean, my parents, I would get either the wooden spoon or the folded in half belt. It was never like abusive. I think some of that stuff can kind of sound scary or something to some, but it wasn't. But it was, and it definitely was not enjoyable. I did not like it. But uh, I would get punished and I would have spankings as a kid. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't like it, but it helped me grow. And I, I think that, so this passage we're going to be looking at today is actually about discipline. It's about God's discipline in our lives, which is not something we're thrilled about or like thinking about or we enjoy. The passage even will tell us that. We don't enjoy it, but it is for are good. And I, what I want us to kind of think about, though, when we think of discipline, I want us to think about it a little bit like that, like physical therapy almost, okay? Or I almost, I want to think about it like, I, I imagine when I was walking with my kids when they were toddlers, like walking down the sidewalk, right? And you're walking with a toddler. So imagine like my, my kids like walking down the sidewalk in front of me. And as dad, I'm coming alongside, like I'm behind, but kind of like, here walking behind and it's like, you know, they're walking like, you know how little toddlers are like, like a drunk guy or something. And they're just like, eh, and they just sort of like stumble all over the place. And you've got a, a road over here with cars and you've got homes over here with dogs or whatever. And you're just kind of like, you're just kind of giving little course corrections along the way. Like, no, 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 just stay here. But if they're going out and there's a car coming, you're yanking them back up real quick and, and grabbing them. And so there's this, this sense, I think that what we're getting from God is, is these course corrections, and it's gentle, it's gentle, it's gentle, but sometimes it's a little bit more, right? And so think about, as we're talking about discipline, as we read this passage, think about that. And I want us to remember where we've come from with this. So we're in this series in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, again, though, just it's important for us to remember, it's a group of people that were Jewish people that are either considering following Jesus or are now new followers of Jesus, and now it's getting hard. Okay? Now they're going through suffering. They're being mocked. They're being persecuted. They're going through like certain trials. And they're wanting just to bail out. Because now it's hard. I'm out. And I want to go back to the old way. I want to go back to where my family wasn't against me. I want to go back to where I was just part of kind of the norm system. I want to go back to that. I don't want to have to be in this new different thing. Let me just bail out. And he's trying to, the author of Hebrews is reminding them and reminding us that Jesus is better than anything else. Jesus is greater than anything else. And that no matter what, it's Jesus that we should be following and focused on. He is supreme. He is over all, and everything will be made right through him and, and not going back to whatever is comfortable. Okay, so that's a reminder for us. And we get into this whole thing where we talked about these heroes of faith in chapter 11. And then last week, Matt talked about that great passage of fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's endured the, the shame of the cross, and he's encouraging us to run this race with endurance, all right? To run this race of life with endurance. And then now we get into the passage we'll be in today, verses 3 to 17. Let's start just by reading verses 3 to 11 here. It says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, that's Jesus it's talking about. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now consider him who endured this hostility so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which you've all become partakers, then, you're, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. <laughs> I think it's a funny line. Seems not to be joyful. Sounds British. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We'll stop there. We'll do a few more later. But we start with this. We start with consider Jesus. Okay? Consider Jesus so that... There's a couple so that's in this passage, and that's what these first two main points that we'll be talking about, um, how, how they're worded. Consider Jesus so that you will not be depleted and defeated. All right? Grow weary and lose heart, it says. I think for a lot of us, we feel this sense of feeling depleted, feeling defeated these days. I mean, it's hard. And it's hard to be a follower of Jesus these days as well. And we kind of feel like we're just weary. We feel like maybe we're losing hearts, like these people in the, the book of Hebrews here are beginning to lose hearts. And God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to respond. I want you to respond to feeling that sense of depletion, to feeling that sense of losing heart. I want you to respond by considering Jesus. So it says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Now, you might have seen, like, remember, like, as we read through that whole passage, it talked about how we are part of God's family. Like, he's saying you are, you are his sons. We are sons and daughters of him. Now, the thing with discipline is it's all because we're part of a family. And, like, the way that we became part of God's family was through Jesus' work on the cross. So what Jesus did, what Jesus went through for us, this enduring this hostility, him going through that is what made us part of his family. He did that to include you in his family. So let's remember that. And even when we think about discipline, when we think about when God disciplines us, A, it's because we're part of his family, and B, like remember what he went through to bring you into that family. He endured all of that hostility, that shame, that suffering for us. And so he encourages us then to fix our eyes on him. Now, when we think about, um, we think about fixing our eyes on Jesus and considering Jesus, it's, it's a sense of meditating on him. And it, again, it's, it's taking us into this athletic language, okay, when it's, when it's talking about so you won't grow weary, so that you won't lose heart. It's like, remember, it's like in this context of running the race 
with endurance. And so, you know, Matt talked last week about his like marathon experience and all of that and like the difficulties in that and the ways that we can grow weary and the ways that we can lose heart. And it just even made me kind of thinking about how can we not lose, lose heart? How can we not lose hope and, and keeping our eyes on the prize? And I, it was, I ran a marathon like about 11 months ago. Super Bowl Sunday last year is one of the last sort of like events of our world. <laughs> Felt like, you know, <laughs> so it was in Huntington Beach and it was this huge event with all these people everywhere. And uh, it was my first marathon and it was, it was crazy. Like it was such a good day. I felt so well trained. I had done like, I had done the hard work and I was just having so much fun. You might, if you're not a runner, you're just like, what is this guy talking about? I mean, I was at mile 15, 16, just with the most sort of runner's high feeling that I've ever felt, just elated. I was just, I was like, I was just like smiling. And I remember even one time I passed, uh, like uh, Greg Clark was coming this way and I was going this way. He was doing like a uh, a different event. And so that's the only reason I would have was in front of him because he would normally be in front of me. Uh, But um, (laughs) so I ran across and I was like, Greg, what's up, man? This is amazing. And he's just like, calm down save your energy. What are you doing? You know, like trying to get me to like relax. Like you need to chill out, bro. But I was just so pumped up. I was having this great time. And then uh, down there in Huntington, the way it works, you go up Bolsa Chica and then you turn around. It's about mile 21 where you turn around at the end of the north end of Bolsa Chica. And right when you do that, it's just boom, headwind. Strongest headwind just going right on you. And you start to go into a little bit of an uphill grade. And you're at mile 21, which is like the super bonk, like the wall portion of a marathon. And so I remember just went from elation to uh, just like being so discouraged, beginning to get to grow weary and to lose heart and finding myself making negotiations with myself in my mind. Like, well, if I slow my pace down this much, I could probably still achieve my goal. Like doing math in my mind because I was trying to see how slow I could go and still achieve the goals that I had for myself. And I, I just think about that with what I needed to do there and what I ended up doing and it worked out was I could see the finish line as the pier way up ahead. And I just kept looking at the pier. And I just kept my eyes fixed on that end, my eyes fixed on the prize, the pier. I wasn't dwelling on the headwind. I wasn't dwelling on the uphill grade. I wasn't dwelling on the pain. I was fixing my eyes ahead on the prize. And so I I think about that because especially because this is that kind of language here in this text is for us, we can't be dwelling on our suffering or our fears or our problems or our sin so, or our temptation. We don't dwell on the temptation or dwell on the sin. We dwell on Jesus, and that's what gives us hope. That's what allows us to be able to persevere through whatever hard thing we're going through personally, the temptations we struggle with, or the way that we just feel sort of hopeless in the state of our world today. We fix our eyes and consider Jesus. That's the key. So meditate on him, dwell on him, consider him, think about him, not the stuff of this world. Because he really wants us to take seriously how much sin can take us out. Sin destroys us. And I, th- I think that the author of Hebrews, I think through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, God is telling us 
you have to take sin seriously. The key to taking it seriously is to focus your eyes on Jesus. But he says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. I mean, that is, if that sentence does not just sort of take you back, like just really impact you, like you need to read it again. It says here, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. How do you think about sin and the temptations that you have towards sin? I remember when I was in high school and like my youth pastor would give the talks about like love, sex, and dating and all that kind of stuff, right? And they would, it was like always this thing of how far is too far. <laughs> it was just like, ah. But um, the thing was, is I remember it was like the thinking, and I really still remember like the, I think the good thing that my youth pastor would say to me was, why are you thinking about how close you can get to sin? Why are you wanting to live a life that says, I want to get as close to sin as I possibly can, even if it's without sinning, but I just want to get as close to sin as I can. That's what I want. Instead of saying, I want to get as far away from sin as I possibly can. It shouldn't be like, that shouldn't be our focus is how much bad stuff can we do that, that is like not to the point of sin? No, our heart should be that we strive so hard against sin. We want to stay so far away from that, that is to the point of shedding blood. Now, we know that we can't forgive ourselves. We know that it's the shed blood of Jesus Christ that forgives us. But we also know that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it. But I think this passage is encouraging us. Sin will destroy you. Do you want to get close to destruction or do you want to be close to life? Where is your focus? How are you living in that way? And then, so it's thinking on Jesus and submitting to him is the key to be able to stay far from sin, to stay far from our, like far away and strive as much as we can away from sin. And so are we willing to submit to the Lord's discipline? Discipline not something we like, okay, to be disciplined. But I want to encourage you to say yes to discipline so that, it's another so that in here in this passage, so that you will be made holy. So I want to read actually, let's see. I want to actually read 5 through 11 just actually in the NLT, the New Living Translation. We just read it once in our NASB Bibles. But I want you to hear just maybe just some different words. So here it goes, 5 through 11. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Really hear that. God is treating you as his kids. You're God's kids. He's treating you as his children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you're illegitimate and aren't really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. 
Why? So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So I encourage you to say yes to discipline so that you'll be made holy. And that all of, remembering, all of God's discipline is because we are members of his family, right? Because we are his children, because he cares for us in that way. And that love and discipline go hand in hand. Now, I don't know if as we were reading that passage, maybe some of you might have kind of like, come up against and butted up against those, those sentences that were saying, like, we all had fathers we respected that disciplined us. And maybe some of you have had great fathers and maybe some of you haven't. And so maybe you're kind of feeling like, I don't know if that's really true of my story. And you need a little bit to put yourself in the context of this text and this passage, but that as a good father here on this earth, a good earthly father would discipline a child, and the child would respect that father for it. And it's the passage is kind of saying, like, even though it wasn't perfect, they did the best they knew how, and they, they, they tried their best. But God's discipline is always good for us. So it's just this image of a perfect, perfect father who will give us discipline that will help us. Now, you even think about, like, if you know kids whose parents never tell them no, they're a little bit nightmares, right? I mean, you know these people. You know, you know the kids I'm talking about. <laughs> and like these kids who have never been told no, they're the nightmare kids, and you know it. And it's, it's, it's rough because they're either they're entitled or they're spoiled. And sometimes it's because they're, they're not, never told no because they're neglected, and it's more tragically, right, that they've never experienced a good sense of discipline. And so these kids are acting out in all sorts of crazy, spoiled brat sort of ways that we need this kind of discipline. Now you can have kind of spoiled and entitled on one side and you can have abuse on the other side. And we don't want either of those things. We don't want overly harsh discipline and we also don't want neglect or uh, spoiling. So there's this, this healthy level of discipline when it comes into our parenting and it's what we, that healthy, perfect discipline is what we can experience from God and it will always result in our good because we know that we need discipline, that we need discipline as adults uh, just as much. And so you think like, okay, what does that discipline from God look like? What does that look like? What does that feel like? One, one thing, first of all, I'd say is it feels like conviction, okay? It feels like conviction from the Holy Spirit. That when you've done something wrong, you have this sense of feeling convicted from it. God gives that to you. God gives you that sense of conviction. Now, and even within that, there's a difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is actually kind of good. We need to feel guilty sometimes. Shame means, shame is saying I'm bad. Guilt is saying the thing I did is bad, right? You understand the difference? Like that action, guilt is that action was bad. Shame is I'm bad. You're not bad, but like <laughs> that, but that those actions that you do are bad is I think an important like thing for us to understand. Because I think sometimes in our kind of modern day, our modern era, we, we've like, we so much don't want shame that it's almost like we've also thrown out guilt. 
but it's like we should feel guilty sometimes. If you do something bad, you should feel guilty, and then that leads to repentance, which is for your good. And so God will give you that sense of conviction, that sense of a good, healthy sense of guilt, and that's a way that he is course correcting you, okay? That's a way that he's that father over the toddler, and you're wandering into the street and about to get run over. God's giving you that conviction, all right? Now, I think there's also not just conviction, but there's also consequence, And so sometimes for our actions, when we commit sin or we commit wrong actions, that will result in consequences for us. And it's like, you almost have to think about that the way you think about the way you talk to a kid, but to yourself, you know, it's like, okay, there's going to be a consequence, you know, like (laughs) you did that thing, there's going to be a consequence. And it's like, yes, that's kind of how God is talking to you. Like, look, you did this thing that was sinful. Now there is a consequence. And sometimes it's, It's as simple as you are being a selfish, narcissistic person, and now you have broken relationships. Like, it doesn't mean, it's not all just like sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of sins. (laughs) Like, there's always that kind of stuff. But, like, it's it's the fact that you might be, um, you know, like, you think of the Ten Commandments even, right? Like, if you steal something, there's a consequence of you would get arrested or whatever, right? Like, if you disrespect your parents, we're told in the commandments to honor your father and mother. It's like, that was when, when I disrespected my mom is when my dad folded his belt in half. Like that's what, that's what happened. And so that, that kind of a moment where there are consequences. If you lie to people, you will lose trust. You will lose respect. It's a consequence. If it says thou shalt not commit adultery, if we commit adultery, there are massive effects on our family, our marriage, all of that. Like there's just huge consequences as we break God's ways. And so I just, you know, you you can't just live for yourself and expect there to not be consequences. I think there's a host of people this week that kind of got caught up in something and now they're realizing there's consequences to their actions. And it can feel, something can feel fun or feel like you're doing something good in the, in the, the moment. And now people are getting arrested by the FBI. Like that's not what you want for your life. Don't get caught up in something that is sinful and think that it's fine. You will suffer the consequences, it's what we reap, what we sow. That is, the, that is what we see here. We reap what we sow. Now, I want us to understand a little bit too about this because if you're reading in this text, especially in the, the NIV, or I mean in the NASB, it says like, and he scourges every son whom he receives. I mean, it's some intense words. But like, so you might think like, well, what is the God doing to us? How does this discipline work? I want us to see, like, there's three words in this passage sort of, like, related to to discipline here. Now, the first, this word, paideia, okay, which is, we just see to discipline. It's more of that word that's like training, nurture, correction, being course corrected. That's used about 10 times here in this passage. Now, also in this passage are two other words, um, mastigao. Uh, if I'm saying it right, my Hebrew is a little, ru- I mean, my Greek's a little rusty, but me, this is where you see scourge or to whip. That's what that, this verse actually means, to flog, whip. It was interesting, I was reading in like um, this Bible dictionary that I use, the, a Greek, Greek dictionary, it was saying 
specifically in Hebrews 12, it said metaphorically to punish or chastise. Okay, so it was like that scholar believes it was like more metaphorical in that way. And then elenko is to rebuke is another one that is also only used one time. Okay, I should go back. So that the whip word was only used one time in the text. And then this other word to rebuke is also used only one time in the text. And that, that's just simply to rebuke, to show fault, to convict, that kind of thing. Whereas this other word that was a little more like course correction, training, nurturing is used about 10 times in that passage. And so for me, it's just kind of like helpful to remember. Like there, there are times... Like, I don't know anything about horse training, but I just sort of like what I see on like TV shows or whatever, right? And you see like when they're like trying to like tame like a more like wild horse and they're in the ring in the circle and they've got like, they've got it on a rope and then they've got kind of like a little switch or something in the other hand and they're like going around in the circle and they're kind of like, kind of like tapping it, right? And they've got the rope and they're kind of tapping it as it's going around and around trying to train it. And, and I, I see these little taps as like that course correction, Right? And then every once in a while, though, if it's like completely out of control, it might get a harder tap, but it also could get a yank on that rope sometimes, right? Like there's, it's mostly just these little like little taps. And it's mostly like the parent with the toddler. It's mostly just kind of like, all right, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good. And then it's like the whoop, no, I got to yank you up, right, kind of a moment. And so I think that's kind of the way I see this text is like you've got, mostly it's like this is what God's doing for us through conviction, through the Holy Spirit's like work in our own hearts. But then every once in a while, we need a yank of that rope, right? Every once in a while, we need a little stronger uh, tap with that switch. And that is where it's this God's heart is for your good. God's heart is for your good. And it is like that, that spiritual rehab after an injury or a surgery or something where we need to be making ourselves – sometimes – so it's just a little more in the sense of us being disciplined, but it's like where we do need to feel some of that pain to be able to grow, all right? That we will experience that and you have to do hard things to be able to grow. And so, because if I just continue to sit in that incorrect motion, if I continue just to use my voice wrong, which I probably am, because they want me to talk like this, guys, just so you know, they said, I should talk like this to be able to use my voice more correctly to be easy but I think that would be weird. <laughs> but because of that, I suffer a little bit. My voice gets gravelly and it, gets, it hurts. And so I suffer because I'm not doing it that way that they've told me is the, the right way that will be best for my voice. Or if I keep you know, having a weak hamstring, like my knee will give out continually. Like I, we need to be able to, if we just sit in that incorrect motion, if we sit in that sin, it will eventually result in like my knee giving out or my voice giving out or us being in a state of destruction, our lives being in shambles because of our sin. And God wants us to strive against sin to the point of shedding blood. And this is for your good that he brings that discipline. And so I, even like I want us to remember that this is also not just about you as an individual, but about you as a member of a family. Remember, all this is in this sort of family language, right? So you've got this sense of, hey, we're all part of this big family of God together. Jesus's work on the cross is what got you in the family. Now we're all members of God's family. We're God's sons and daughters, and he does discipline us. And he wants us, though, then, to be able to live as 
members of God's family in good standing and contributing to the good of the family, helping the family to be able to flourish. That's what he wants for us. And so there's this, the next part of this passage just says, therefore, is the next word, all right? All this, God's discipline, God's discipline, God's discipline. And then it says, therefore, and it's going to tell you how now to live as a member of God's family. Here we go. Verses 12 to 17. You see that there, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. I mean, when we talk about the Alpha Course, we talk about inviting somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus or that is thinking about Jesus or is doubting Jesus, whatever that is. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Help them come to the grace of God. And it says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. And so this is us being the family together. What does he call us to? Strengthen the weak, in terms of sin, in terms of temptation. See our fellow brothers and sisters in the family and strengthen those that are weak to come alongside them, to help them, to walk through that with them, to help them see the discipline that God has brought for their good. Pursue peace with everyone. Is this our heart to pursue peace? That we care about God's peace in our relationships with one another, that that is what is of primary importance to us here again is this, this peace with everyone and that the gospel, that the grace of God would not be kind of sold short to them, that they would experience the grace of God. He says to remove bitterness, remove bitterness from your life. Consider your heart right now. Is your heart after peace is it more kind of like bitter? You know, are you just feeling bitter about, you think about everything going on in our world. Gosh, just everything. It's just like, is there just bitterness that's just creeping up in you where all you're thinking about is just all the stuff that you're mad about, right? And all the people that disagree with you and you, that you sort of hate. And you just think, I'm just letting bitterness just well up inside of me. Remove that bitterness from your life. God wants us to have a heart of peace, to be strengthening our other brothers and sisters and our family, to have peace with everyone, to have a, a sense of joy in him. You know, he uses this example under here of, of Esau. And Esau, he was the one that was supposed to have this birthright, this great blessing. And he was, came out, he came back from uh, a hunting trip and was hungry and gave up his blessing and his birthright for a meal, just for immediate gratification. He gave up what was ultimately good to have just his, 
desires met for a moment. And that can be, when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, that's probably most of the time what happens. We, we have like a, whether that's sexual temptation or if that's anger or if that's greed, if that's the way we treat people, it's all to satisfy an immediate gratification that's kind of abandoning the greater, um, the greater blessing that God has for you. So remove that bitterness from your life and then repent sincerely. Repent sincerely. And this is what I want us to really focus in on today. And we'll even focus in on this next week some too. That I want us to consider Jesus and I want us to consider our life. And are we living a life that God would punish? Are we living a life that needs discipline? Are we living a life that is after God's heart or are we living a life that is just about ourselves? And so I want you to think about what you need to repent. Where are you when it comes to sin and temptation, when it comes to like the way that you even respond to God's discipline or you think about God's word and his ways? Like even just God, the notion of God telling you this is the best way to live you might rebel against just even that thought because our world is so much about what we want as an individual that some, I think we're losing a sense of what God wants for us and what's God's best for us. And we need to repent of that. And so we, we confess, we ask forgiveness, and we turn from that sin because that sin will destroy us. So I want to give us a little time. What we're going to do right now is we're just going to have a couple minutes couple minutes just to consider. Consider your life. Consider Jesus. And we'll just, I, I just love if every person can just like bow your heads, close your eyes. Just let yourself dwell on what is God speaking to you right now about your life and what you might need to repent of and do some of that business with God. In a couple, couple minutes, we'll begin to sing if you, want to keep, if you want to keep praying and keep thinking, do that. If you want to start singing, do that. We'll sing of God's great faithfulness because God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. So we repent and we turn to him because he is the one that will make us faithful. Let me pray and then we'll spend a couple minutes and, as we dwell on him. Lord, I pray that you would speak into the hearts of each person here of each person watching this, wherever they are. Lord, may your Holy Spirit convict us of sin and may we repent of it now. In Jesus' name, amen.
He's always good, and his discipline is always good. And his love won't run dry for you, and part of that love is the discipline work that he does in your life. And for us to receive it as that, or receive it from our loving Father, to submit to that. And so my prayer is that we'll be continuing to do that, just allowing the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and our lives, for him to be drawing us closer to him and to a life of repentance and a life of holiness that his power will help us to be able to do. And next week even we'll be looking into how we come before him with reverence and awe because our God is holy. Our God is, is worthy to be worshiped and praised. And so that's my heart for all of us and even some things that we're, something we're trying to do um, just as a church as a tool for you with that is uh, a, a bit of this spiritual health assessment survey. So we sent the, an email out with that survey. We'll talk about some other stuff too. But with that survey in there that is all 
to help you to be able to do some reflection, okay? And if you didn't get the email, if you don't get our emails, there's that, the link to that is just on our main webpage, calvarylife.org. You find it there, take the survey. And this can just help you to say, okay, kind of here's where I'm doing. I'm doing, I'm doing well on this stuff. I kind of have some areas of growth here. And then to be able to go to God and just ask him to be able to help you in that. And so we want you just to spend some reflection, to consider your life. And that can help you to do that. Like these sorts of processes have been really good for me in my life to point out areas that I just wasn't really thinking about or I was blind to and maybe areas of needed growth. And even what we'd love for you to do is if you want, what we're saying is that after you fill that out, you can just request like a, almost like a consult, like a consult with a pastor to say, hey, how could I be growing in this? And we want to give you guys some resources as well to help you in those areas of needed growth. Because we want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue a life that is lived well for Jesus. And so I think this is a way that we can strive. It's, not, it's nowhere close to the point of shedding blood, I promise, okay? So you can fill out a survey. <laughs> uh, but uh, to do that, and then we also, that's just for your own growth and spiritual health, but it also will help us as a church that we can know like, okay, here's some areas that we as a community need to grow, and here's some areas of strength and kind of help us to teach on things that are like going to be beneficial to our body. And so that's also for us as a church. Then um, we also uh, have a, another survey that you can fill out that's all about regathering, regathering here in person, indoors, that kind of stuff, just getting a sense of how you all feel about that, uh, you know? And so that would be, we've done a couple of these over the course of this last year and just want to get a sense of where you're at. And then we also have uh, something we're calling leadership listening sessions related to regathering. So um, uh, there'll be a couple, there's a couple opportunities for that. We send the email out. You can find out details about that online as well. If you'd like just to be able to come and to be able to share, have some of our elders and pastors be able to hear some of your thoughts on all of that regathering stuff, we want to be able to listen. And then just again, reminders about the Alpha course coming, our ESL uh, ministry that's getting started. Just excited about that. I want love for you to continue to pray and invite into it. So let me pray for you and just as I encourage you the rest of this day to live out this Sabbath rest today, to rest in the Lord. Uh, don't get into your work, just rest in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we are people who want to live lives of holiness and we know that we fail. And so we ask you, Lord, will you please strengthen us, strengthen our hands that are weak and our knees that are feeble, God. Strengthen us when we are weak, when it comes to sin and temptation. Strengthen us when we seem to go towards bitterness rather than joy and peace in you, God. Lord, help us to be a light for you, Lord Jesus, and your truth above all else in this world. I pray this blessing over you now. Just prepare to receive this blessing from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift his countenance to you and give you peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you as you go today. Woo.